millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 11 to 1. Monday Motivation. Motivation. You have one week to live. These are the words an emaciated 15-year-old girl was told by her doctors. She'd been starving herself, weighed just five stone at the time. And when I look at the life my Lex guest has led, it's hard to believe that she was once in the grips of a great battle with anorexia. This is just one of many great difficulties she's faced in life. She was sexually abused as a young child, survived a horrific car crash that left her with severe epilepsy and scoliosis. Today, she is a three-time best-selling author. Actually, she's more than a three-time. She's, I think she's about seven-time uh, best-selling author at this stage. Qualified psychologist, successful business and life coach, the founder of the Women's Empowerment Summit. Her academic work has been published nationally and internationally, and she's been endorsed by many personal development leaders, including Bob Proctor of The Secret, Mark Victor Hansen, Chicken Soup for the Soul, and many others. She's passionate about helping others realise their potential and giving them the tools to regain confidence and start living happy, more fulfilled lives. I'm delighted to be joined now by the inspiring Donna Kennedy for Monday Motivation. How are we doing, Donna? Great. Thank you so much, Sinead, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, listen, it's uh, great to have you because I know how busy you are. So thank you for, for taking the time out. You were just 15 when you were told you have a week to live. And it's so hard to think of you as being that girl. What brought you to that point? How did things get so bad? Well, I suppose and everybody has challenges in their lives. And unless we have the tools and the skills to deal with those challenges as they present themselves, we try and cope the best way we can. Um, at seven, uh, I had obviously undergone a sexual assault, as you said, and I didn't have the tools or skills to deal with that. It just felt too big for my mind. So I dealt with it whatever way I could, which at the time was basically shove it into my mind and put a lock on it. Um, and I, over time, obviously, my confidence started to dwindle. Um, I felt very, very withdrawn and um, I was bullied then when I was about 12. So obviously I was kind of the, the easy target. And all accumulation of that, um, my way of dealing with it really was uh, to stop eating, and which on a logical level doesn't make sense. But, you know, we're not logical creatures. We're, we're basically mostly on emotion. So um, that was my way of dealing with it. In hindsight, it, for me personally, it was a way to control my body and help, help me disappear. For other people, it's different reasons. But for me personally, that was my uh, my goal, I suppose, mm. was was to stay in control of my body and, and make it disappear ultimately. Um, although I never actually wanted to die. Mm. Um, I thought, ironically, I thought I was in control and sitting on a knife edge between life and death and um, that I could always stop if I wanted. And, you know, I could take it as far to the literally minute uh, distance uh, to, to be in control. Um, but I wasn't. And, you know, you, you, you're in hospital, you weigh just five stone, you're, you're told your organs are being shutting down. You know, what was the turning point then where you thought, I actually can't keep doing this to myself, I need to now start taking control of this? Well, it wasn't like a, a life epiphany as such, mm. but I, I did fall into a very short coma um, and it scared the life out of me. <laughs> um, it, uh, I, I was in my bed, actually, at that time. Um, I could... 
was very aware of what was going on around me, um, and but I couldn't move my body. Um, and it really did scare me. Um, when I came out of that coma, I spoke to my mother and I said, I really don't know how to get better. The logical solution was just to eat. It's the most simplistic thing that any person could ever do. You have to do it a few times a day and you stay alive. It's not that hard. Um, but for some reason, I just couldn't do it. Um, and mentally, I suppose, you know, people go through challenges and on the surface from the outside world, the behavior can seem ridiculous or illogical. Mm. Um, but when you don't have the, the skills and tools to deal with it, as I didn't, um, you know, I, I was just in that place and I didn't know how to help myself. Uh, and I asked mom, you know, please help me like I don't know what to do. Um, and basically she said, well, I don't either. So I thought, right, well, you know, that's not exactly the answer I wanted. Um, and nobody seemed to know what to do, although they did try and help, uh, you know, every traditional avenue could possibly take. Um, and I, I realized, OK, I've got to start somewhere. So I, I started very small. Um, I started off with eating what I called at the time safe foods, uh, mm. foods that I felt OK eating. And I built up from that. And for the most part, it was building up my psychological strength um, and learning from people who had gone before me uh, and took a, a good path um, when maybe they weren't, uh, they didn't have a great start. And gratitude was a huge part of it as well. That was kind of my my starting point uh, where mom asked me to to try and be grateful for things. And obviously that's very patronizing to somebody who doesn't feel like being grateful. Um, but I, I just, I had no option. It was either trust her or don't. They were my two options. And I trusted her and I trust my dad and uh, the rest of my family. And uh, here I am today, you know, to, yeah. doing quite well and very healthy. Yes, doing very exceptionally well. And, you know, you mentioned gratitude and it's something I chat about all the time on the show. It's such a powerful tool. And, you know, uh, from reading about it, the, the effect of feeling gratitude, expressing gratitude in your life, it can really open up so so much for you. And just, you know, when you when you talk about your mom saying, OK, let's let's write down what are we grateful for? Even that act of picking up the pen and putting it to paper and going, this is what I'm grateful for. It's a powerful mood shifter, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, but to be honest, at that time, I actually I was so weak, I didn't pick up the pen and I didn't really want to pick up the pen, mm. to be totally honest. Um, so I, I actually said to her, I have nothing to be grateful for. And I genuinely felt that at that time. And when you're in that bubble of self and you're, you know, that's all you think of is your own thoughts. Um, I didn't feel grateful. So she actually prompted me and she said, well, you know, you're good at art. Could you be grateful for that? And I said, OK, fine, I, I could. But very reluctantly, you know, I didn't have any mm. positive emotion attached to it. And she said, well, OK, we'll write that down. So she actually wrote it down for me. And then she said, well, how do you do art? So I was like, oh, seriously, you know, and I said, you do it with your hands. And she said, well, could you be grateful for your hands? So I said, fine, put that down, too. And it went from multiple things. I think at the time it was about 39 uh, things before I actually started to feel grateful, mm. which to many people would seem, gosh, you, know, you must be very selfish or very uh, self-focused. No, not at um, all. It's 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 an insight into the, you know, the the fragile state of mind that you were in at that point. Very much so. Um, and I felt, you know, I really did have a chip on my shoulder about life. I was very mm. angry um, and I needed a way to fuel that anger and that, you know, for anything, for, as bizarre as this sounds, you know, to get any results, you have to put a lot of energy behind it. And although it was a negative result I was getting by starving myself, nonetheless, it was a result. So to fuel that, I had to put a lot of energy behind it. And at that particular moment, anger was my go to. Mm. Um, so for somebody to say, to be grateful for somebody to say, you know, focus on the positives or focus on all that you have in life, not what you don't have. Um, it wasn't really on my radar. Mm. It was very, you know, I, I was very frustrated and angry and I hated the world. I hated anybody who tried to make me part of the world or to be happy, um, which sounds bizarre, but that is the, that is the reality of it. 
And, you know, then, you know, like as you're saying there, you know, you find you find that so, so difficult. And it is just, you know, with, I suppose, time learning from others, as you say, gaining these tools that you, you, you bring with you, that you become the person you have today. But you do come out of that. You do uh, be- become very healthy, le- leading a much healthier life. You're you're heading for college, you're studying uh, psychology, the, the subject that you've chosen. Things are going well. But then life has other ideas because tragedy strikes you again in the form of a, a crash, a car crash. Yeah, I was doing very well. I had learned um, a lot. I had gained the tools uh, to get better and I was genuinely healthy. I was top of my class in college and psychology, bizarrely, is a, is a very competitive subject. But I was top of my class. I, was, uh, two, I had two part time jobs just to help pay for college. Um, you know, things were going very well. And I did. I had a car accident um, and I hit my head. And I didn't uh, really, I mean, I wasn't knocked out or anything mm-hmm. like that, but I, I was dizzy. Um, and I started to feel kind of a bit strange over the next two weeks. So I went to the doctor and the doctor basically said to me, uh, it was a locum. And she basically said, uh, well, looking at your history, she said, I think you need to uh, take antidepressants. And I said, well, I'm not really depressed. And I genuinely at that time, I mm. wasn't because I'd got things together. Yeah. Um and she said, well, take them anyway. She basically looked at my history and, and, you know, within 10 to 15 minutes, as most doctors have with the best will in the world, 10 to 15 minutes doesn't necessarily get to the root of a problem. No. Or certainly you shouldn't jump to conclusions. Um, so basically at that point, uh, they admitted me to a psychiatric unit and they put me on 24 hour supervision. And basically because obviously I was having episodes where um, I was getting mumbles in my head. I felt dreamy. I was losing track of time. Um, so basically, uh, I knew I wasn't mentally ill um, mm. at that point. I had got things together um, and they basically said I had schizophrenia, which I don't have. I never had. Um, but they they did uh, put me on very high dose of medication and with lots of different side effects. So even in the first 24 hours, uh, they basically said, look, you're, you're staying here. Um, and they put me on an anti-anxiety medication, which they said will take the edge off in their words. Um, then I was on a sleeping tablet that night, which in their words, were to get me through the night. Mm. And obviously then you have other tablets added to that the following day when you see a doctor. So they do very much of a trial and error. So in those, I stayed there three months and obviously the symptoms weren't going away. Um, And just, you know, as I suppose, look, or somebody up there was looking after Mm. me. Um, My mom, my dad got a different insurance plan. Uh, They had very good relationships with other doctors and they got me into another hospital in Dublin. And when I spoke uh, with the doctors in Dublin, they looked at my file, monitored me for a while. And then they had a conversation with my mum and dad. And my dad uh, had obviously over three months, you know, I've seen me being treated like I could only say in the particular the hospital I was in, but very much like a, an animal. Like um, it's like was, something that you read in a horror story where somebody's trapped in, in one of these institutions and they're not actually, there's nothing wrong with them in that way. That's what it, it sounds like to me. You, you see it in horror stories all of the time. Well, look, when, you, when you're in a system, um, I suppose they look for symptoms that match that system and they mm. weren't looking for epilepsy. They were looking for psychological. And obviously my, my you, your younger years didn't help the situation. Yeah. Um, my language and my articulation of symptoms wasn't great either. Uh, when you say you feel dreamy or disconnected, um, you know, that that can come across in a certain setting as something totally different. Um, also, when you're on medication, you have various different side effects. So, you know, even I mean, I met people in there that, you know, if you're happy, you're manic, if you're low, you're depressed. So mm-hmm. you very much become in a very neutral, numb state. Um, and it's very, very hard to kind of, I suppose, to 
you're medicated in my I can only speak from my own experience yeah. and for what I saw. Um, but you're very much in a limbo state of medic- medication. Um, and I was that typical, you know, you see the person kind of walking down heavy footed, mm. fish eyed, as I would say, you know, on the street um, who it's very obvious that they're psychiatric. Um, and I was that person until I went to the second hospital. And, and my dad basically said to the doctor, look, we're sick of all of this. Um, you know, Donna was totally normal. Yes, she had issues when she was younger, but as well surpassed them. Uh, has been totally normal and uh, surely it had something to do with the accident. And the doctor at the time said, he basically said, what accident? It wasn't in my file. Oh, my God. Um, scans that have been taken of my brain weren't in my file. So it looked on, a, on I suppose, text in a file. It could have mm-hmm. looked like something totally different. And as luck would have it, or as I said, someone was looking after me. The doctor happened to be under, happened to have done his thesis on epilepsy. And he recognised the symptoms uh, very quickly uh, when dad had said that. So basically he took me off the other medication and started me on different stuff, started, you know, obviously meeting people who would have seen what I now know are seizures. Yes. Um, And then it was basically a a kind of a a journey from there of, you know, and people often ask me, you know, you must have got back on your feet now quick because, you know, you had done it before. And I said, it actually was harder the second time. I was time. just going to say, it probably was harder the second time because, and I know you talk about this quite a bit, Donna, you talk about standing in your own power. Uh, can you explain a little bit about that and what that actually means? Yeah, well, to me, standing in your own power, I mean, there's only one way to get better or to live an amazing life, and that is to stand in your own power. And for, for me, there's three parts to that. Yours, what I would call your understanding, which basically when we come into the world and from day dot up until now, we get a script to operate out from, from our environment, from social media, parents, teachers, etc. So essentially we live out of, you know, what our beliefs are, what our perceptions are. They may not necessarily be useful, um, but we have and our biases are created by those, etc. And then we have a, a, a part of the inner standing, which I say where you, you know, you go in, you reflect, you question your beliefs, your question, that your behaviours, um, and you basically do some some inner inner questioning or reflection, and then you get a, a higher standing, which is what you need to know, and um, that basically is is moving on and growing and developing as a person. And um, so there's three aspects of it, and you, you have to go through through those three aspects to stand in your power, which I have done, and to this day I continue to do, and I constantly question, um, you know, my beliefs, my the things that I do. You know, how am I improving? I always look at my needs and see, are they balanced? Um, it's one of the most useful things somebody can do. Mm. Um, and making sure that you live a very balanced life. And really, that's what standing in your power is. It's not about, you know, the one dimensional aspect of life. Like, you know, you have loads of money or on the other hand, you have a great relationship or you have great health. It's a, it's an amalgamation of everything. And you can't have one without a compromise, and f- compromise for the other. So, for me, I even have a wheel that I use um, and just to keep track. And I do it every two months. I keep track of my life. Um, I'm not naive enough to think that, you know, nothing would ever happen again in my life that would be negative. I mean, life happens, but it's how you deal with it that makes the difference. So I'm now very equipped and I believe I'm, I'm very able to deal with life. So no matter what anyone throws at me, um, I'm able to deal with it and strong enough. And I have those tools and those skills. Um, I'll never go. I'll never be be back on the ground again, so no, to speak. So you, ne- you never will, absolutely. And you know, you've written you've written a few books at this stage. I loved uh, the the confidence to to succeed. Um, it's a fantastic book, and it's so true that lack of confidence, I think, is is holding uh, so many of us back, like myself included. You know, for a long time, I didn't think that I could sit in this chair and do what I'm doing all on my own here. You know, it's it's that inner critic that says, "No, you can't do that." There's there's others that are better out there. The, the, a lot 
lot of this is what you go through in the book as well. And this is kind of what um, really can hold an awful lot of people back, isn't it? Yeah, well, look, as I said, we get a script from day dot and we add little beliefs to that as we go along. And if you look at the word belief itself, self, uh, the word lie is in it. So we tell mm. ourselves an awful lot of rubbish and we do a lot of uh, self-talk that isn't useful. And that's where people, you know, confidence isn't a thing. Although I've called the book The Confidence to Succeed, mm. people relate to the word confidence, but confidence is actually an emotion. And emotions are never static, whether that is, you know, somebody being anxious or depressed or happy or sad or angry. An emotion is never static. It's a chemical response um, in relation to something that we're doing in our heads or in relation to something that we're either eating or getting from the outside. So confidence, once you know how to manage your state, once you know how to, um, I guess, manage emotions and manage feelings and even knowing how your body works, you can influence those chemicals actually quite easily. Um, And when you do that moment to moment, you have that confidence. Um, Although, you know, as I said, it's not a a thing, but it's a feeling. Feeling, yeah. Yeah. Um, And I teach people how to become confident and how to it's a genuine confidence. It's not something, you know, that I suppose, look, everyone can be a good actor and you can be cocky if you like. Yeah. And and look, I've dealt with people who are the most outwardly confident people and they're crumbling inside. Mm. And it's because they're not sure how they can deal with the emotions that they're actually feeling. And, you know, again, if you look at the word emotion, um, E means out of, moat means to move and ion is an electrically charged particle. And we are, as philosophical as it sounds, but it is a scientific fact, we are um, energetic or electrical beings. We conduct electricity. Um, half, you know, 70% of our body is water. And therefore, if we move out of our comfort zone or if we change our beliefs, we will feel an electrical surge. Um, and that can be sometimes, you know, people can have a very heavy feeling mm. and people can have, you know, they can be really, really upset. They can be stressed. But nonetheless, if, you know, you shock even. Um we can feel that moving out of our comfort zone. So although a comfort zone isn't uh, comfortable, um, it's not necessarily pleasant, we stay in our comfort zones because they serve us at that time to have a purpose. So although even when I was younger, um, my comfort zone was something that nearly killed me, um, although you know it was something that I knew, it was something that I felt safe with, it was something that I felt in control of. I mean, many people are in comfort zone because they're simply afraid to do something different. They're afraid mm-hmm. to go away from the norm, to have different opinions, think of them for themselves. Um, so it's easier, not necessarily nicer to stay in a place or in a behavior that you're used to. So to have that confidence to move out of a base, I didn't want to cross. I, I, I honestly didn't feel I could cross the road on my own. Yeah. Um, you know, and now, you know, I'm speaking from thousands of people. I go on TV on here on radio and I'm totally comfortable doing it. And, you know, is it like, do you have to build yourself up in terms of self-talk like or do you use visualisation as well? Like what kind of things are you pulling out of the, the toolbox as well? Because so often, you know, you kind of like people will have mantras, that kind of thing. And it's something I try to do, but I kind of can struggle with, you know, that kind of mantra. You really have to sort of believe in the mantra, I think, if you're going to express it. But is it is it self-talk? Is it vis- visualisation? What are you doing, say, to, to key yourself up before you take on another uh, ch- challenge or goal that you have? Well, you know, at the beginning, I said we're not logical creatures. So self-talk in a way is a nice idea. But the reality is, if I look in the mirror and tell myself I'm lovely, yet I hate myself, mm. you know, the, <laughs> there's no fooling our brain that way. Um, so self-talk is OK. Personally, for me, again, I can only speak for myself and clients that I've had. Uh, it's not enough. Um, Visualisation is, is very important because it focuses your brain. It gives you something to something to work towards. Uh, but again, that's not enough on its own. 
and how I believe that we change most is a feeling and knowing how you can influence your emotions and how you can create such a high state. And by high state, I mean, you know, if, if for example, um, you know, a tiger runs into your garden mm. and you get an awful fright, it doesn't take you very long to run. Yeah. Um, so you, our behaviours are very much based on how we feel. So there is a thought, you know, you, you tackle your thinking first and then you'll feel better afterwards. Well, I actually I have learned myself um, and through research and through studying um, and through on a practical level working with people. Um, I've learned actually you deal with the feeling first um, if you and trying to make this as, as simple as possible. But yeah. there is a part of the brain called the limbic system, which is a totally that is where our emotions come from. It's where our habits are made, how we're driven. Um, it's a fight or flight response. It's all housed there. And I often liken that to a computer um, and the inner workings of a computer. And if you have or if, if even people listening, you know, if you imagine your phone or your tablet and you've got apps on that phone or tablet, they ended up there um, for a certain reason because you downloaded them over time. And um, some of those apps we don't notice. For example, we have our accents because we were exposed to an accent similar for long enough. Um, but some of those apps, the minute we open them, we go, oh, this is, makes me feel bad or I really hate this game or, or whatever. But it's like in life, we go through pieces of, that we go through lots of downloads um, and some of them aren't useful and some of them create a lot of emotion. So, you know, if you go through an experience, it's like downloading an app. Um, and if the experience is negative, it's like when you open that app, the negative feeling comes with it every time the same way. Mm -hmm. That's how, how uh, phobias happen. So it's about looking at the apps you have in your brain and deciding which ones are useful, uh, which ones aren't, what ones you have to delete and which ones you need to just acknowledge and not engage in. Um, and that's what I do. I, I look at, you know, what is it that is making somebody feel a certain way? And then you have to change that. And sometimes, you know, that can be something in their external environment. You know, maybe they're they're engaging in something that isn't working for them. Um, maybe, you know, they've been in relationships that aren't useful. It could be something even that they're eating or not eating. Um, it could be past experiences that they're still uh, firing or still mm, opening the app, if you yeah. like. Mm. Yeah. And uh, sometimes it's like, you know, if, if you have something that happens to you and it's like just, you know, watching a movie on on a rerun. Well, our, our limbic system on, on a neurological level can't tell the difference between what's real or imagined. So it's almost like you watching a horror movie over and over and um you know, expecting yourself, yourself not, to, yeah, not yeah. to feel it. This is you know? the thing. Like you're, you're, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're speaking a, a, an awful lot of sense there. I mean, in terms of, you know, just to, to go back to kind of, you know, I suppose you in the hospital bed, 15 years of age, you know, if you could go back in time to that Donna, uh, now you can't change anything and I don't think you would want to change anything, Donna, but um, you can impart some words of advice to younger Donna. What would you want her to know? I would say that you're good enough. That would be the first thing. And I think that's what every human being ultimately taking the fluff out of everything. That's what ultimately people want to know, that they're good enough, that they measure up and that they they are accepted in the world just as they are, um, that they don't need to uh, compare themselves to other people or compare themselves to what other people have or do. Um, and it's really to settle with yourself and understand you were born unique. You know, you can't compare an apple with an orange. Um mm -hmm. So, you know, stop trying to measure up to other people. Social media at the moment, you know, the re it's you should be looking at not the amount of likes you get, but the, the kind of life that you have. Um, and, you know, those likes are basically, are you good enough? Yes or no. And if you get mm. lots of likes, it's almost like, you know, well, you know, there's verification or validation yeah. that uh, I'm good. Um, if you don't, people will even delete their posts if they don't get enough likes. Um, you know, that says an awful lot. 
people are we live in a world of comparisons at the moment and I think it's that it's kind of dangerous because the comparisons that uh, we're using are for the most part uh, false and what you see for example and if you if you look at even you know 15 year old people um to any age actually if you're looking at what somebody posts on social media it's a version of their lives it's not their full lives Mm. in raw form yeah we're always going to post the best stuff up there we're not going to post it you know when things are going wrong and and absolutely it's something that i've chatted about you know a number of times in terms of people needing to break away from social media and not spend so, so much time on it as well Donna, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I really could chat to you all day. I wish you the, the very best. I know you're, you're working on an online programme for people. Uh, you have the yeah. new book out as well um, that people can get. That's uh, Be Life, Life or, or Belief. Belief. Yes, uh, fantastic. It was released in November. Uh, listen, thank you so, so much for taking the time to chat to me today. Thank you, Sinead. It's been absolutely great. Thanks a million. DonnaKennedy.com. That's where you'll find more information. You can also find her. uh, She will keep you updated on her social media channels as well. Her book, Be Life or Belief. That's the latest one. She also has Confidence to Succeed. The Confidence to Succeed. That's another great one as well. Um, By the way, if anybody has been affected by anything that we're talking about, um, you can get support on uh, eating disorders. SeeChange.ie, BodyWise.ie. That's BodyWise.ie. Or you can call 1890-200-4. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 